0: So good to see all of you here, uh, especially those of you, maybe this is your first time on our campus. You've come to celebrate with somebody who's being baptized today. So a special welcome to you. Uh, I want to continue our series. We're, we're super excited. and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you here this morning. So when I was growing up, I heard about many superstitions. Anybody have superstitions growing up? So I even practiced some of these. For example, several times when I found a penny like on a sidewalk, I took the penny and put it in my back left pocket. Some of you will know what that means. Or as a boy, I was given a gift from a friend of our family, a horseshoe. Hung the horseshoe up in my bedroom because a horseshoe supposedly brings good luck, okay? Uh, I found a four-leaf clover one time as a kid. Couldn't wait to get it, put, you know, put it between two pieces of tape, put that in my drawer, Uh, I was once given a rabbit's foot. They said, that's good luck for everybody but the rabbit, I might add. So so all of these strange behaviors are known as superstitions. And superstitions are baseless beliefs and practices to manipulate reality. That's what a superstition is. And there's a long list of superstitions. So, for example, uh, never walk under a ladder. That's bad luck. You spill salt. And you toss a little bit over your shoulder. Don't wash your clothes on New Year's Day or you'll wash somebody away in your life. That's kind of creepy, but that's what I heard. Keep your fingers crossed for things to go well for you. Stay away from the number 13. Breaking a mirror is, I think, it's seven years bad luck, something like that. Uh, never open an umbrella indoors. That's a superstition that's really bad. Step on a crack, break your mother's. Yeah, see, all right. <laughs> I love the enthusiasm. So many of these superstitions were placed in my mind as a child. And some of you may have even grown up in an environment where maybe you didn't take them seriously. I never really took them seriously, but they got embedded in my head some way. I thought, wow, okay, is this really true? And I found myself hesitating to do some of those things that were on the list. And get this superstitions have also grown up around Jesus Christ and certain practices within the church. For example, many people view Jesus as a kind of good luck charm. You know what I'm talking about? Like if I've got Jesus in my life, then everything will go well for me. I'll never be in pain. I'll get everything that I want. All my prayers will be answered. And and we cling to Jesus as this kind of uh, you know good luck charm so that my life will go well. How about the Lord's Supper? Communion? There's a lot of superstition around that. Is this like does this actually become the body of Jesus, or is it just some sort of memory device? And in addition to that, the practice of baptism, which we're celebrating here today, has been filled with superstition throughout church history. So today is the fourth week of our series called Rechurch. And man, we've just had a great time together uh, over these last uh, few weeks. Here's how we're defining the term to rechurch means to engage in a fresh way with the miracle movement called the church. And as we've done every week, let's say it out loud together. Ready? To engage in a fresh way with the miracle movement called the church. To get back from sort of you know, being distant perhaps and to come together and to engage in a fresh way with this thing that God has created and birthed into existence. And what better way to re-church today than to experience the wonder of baptism. Now just a little refresher. The word baptize is from the Greek word baptizo, and it doesn't take a lot to, to realize that what we've done, what translators have done, is essentially transliterated. In other words, they, they've taken the Greek letter and they've just correspondingly brought it over in an English letter. And so when we come to the scriptures and open a Bible and read, okay, they were baptized, we're just taking that word in Greek and making it English. It doesn't tell us what it means. So we have to dig in a little more to discover what does the word baptize or the Greek word baptizo actually mean. Well, it means to dip repeatedly. It means to immerse, to submerge, to wash, to make clean with water. In fact, some context suggests that the meaning is actually to immerse in a dye. Now, think about it, because this, this helps us really understand what baptism is like. So if you've got a piece of cloth and you have this little bowl of dye and you're going to change the color of the cloth, what you do is you take that cloth and you immerse it in the little bowl. You baptize it in the bowl. That's, that's what it means. And then what happens? That cloth takes on the character of the dye. The cloth identifies with the dye that you've, you've placed the, the garment in. Truth is, those of you that know anything about church history know that there's no area of theology that's been more hotly contested uh, over the centuries than the idea of baptism. There are those that say, in order to be saved, you must be baptized. So, faith in Jesus is not enough. you got to be baptized, too. I always point people to the thief on the cross who had no opportunity to get down off that cross. And yet, Jesus said this day, you're going to be with me in paradise. He wasn't baptized. Or... Infant baptism, lots of superstition around infant baptism. You know, parents clamor as quickly as possible to have their infant baptized for fear, you know, God forbid something terrible would happen. And they have this superstition that now the child, uh, you know, because it's been baptized, would be uh, in heaven. Many people view it as a sign of the covenant, but I, I would suggest that the New Testament sign of the covenant is not baptism, but the Lord's Supper, okay? So, the Anabaptist movement in Switzerland, get this, in 1526, Swiss leaders decreed, Swiss church leaders, that that adult baptism was punishable by death. They were so hooked into the infant baptism thing that they would say to you, if you're an adult and you get baptized, we're going to kill you. And that's exactly what they did. Those that wanted to identify as believers by being baptized... They, they were arrested, and any guesses how they were killed? They were executed by drowning. It was as though they were saying, you, you, you like water so much, we're going to drown you. It's a terrible, terrible time in church history. Well, what does the Bible say about this subject of baptism? Just a couple of verses. So Peter, the church is born, Acts 2, very first you know, beginning of the church, and Peter stands up and preaches a sermon, and Acts chapter 2 says this, Then those who received his word were baptized. Luke uses that phrase, received his word, to indicate they believed in it. They were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Sometime after that, a man named Philip, who loved Jesus, uh, stood up to preach. And here's what we find in Acts chapter 8. But when, uh, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Okay, So here's the pattern that you see in the New Testament. The gospel is preached, people believe it, then they are baptized. That's what you see. The gospel is preached, and then people believe it, and then they are baptized. So my story, some of you perhaps share a similar story. I was raised in a church, a denominational church, where I was christened as an infant. Okay, So I'm told. I have no memory of it. So basically, as a little baby, I was held by somebody, and water was sprinkled on my head. Well, later when I became a Christian, I thought, you know what, Uh, I don't remember that. And the pattern in the New Testament is the gospel is preached and people believe in Jesus and then they are baptized. So after I became a Christian, I decided I wanted to be baptized as well. Put another way, see it on the screen, baptism is an outward symbol of an inward reality. An outward symbol of an inward reality. Now, you, you, you know, you've already heard, you've seen a little bit of the first part of a video of the kids ministry here on Friday night. How many of you were here for that? Just a show of hands. Oh, my gosh, that was incredible. It was such an amazing opportunity. And in that event, uh, one of the ways that we communicate baptism to kids is we say it's like wearing your team's favorite jersey. You're connecting with that team you're wearing. This is an outward symbol or uh, another illustration would be a wedding ring. A wedding ring is just an outward symbol of another kind of reality. And so baptism is an outward symbol. It doesn't save you. It's an outward symbol of what's taken place in your life. And the picture is the burial and resurrection of Jesus. So we go under the water, identifying with the burial, you know, the death and burial of Jesus, and then raise to life the resurrection of Jesus. So it's all about identifying with Christ. Now, whenever I see this tub in our worship center here, I get so excited because I'm just reminded of the, the, uh, the demonstration of life change and people who have believed in Jesus that want to say, yeah, I want to publicly identify. And of course, we, we give family members and uh, those of you, you know, mom or dad or siblings, the opportunity to baptize people or friends might tap somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, would you baptize me? You, you've meant a lot to my life. But, but I'll never forget years ago, someone was baptizing somebody. And, you know, the way you do it is, you know, you hold the person upright and you say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you go, and then up. Well, this person got the words right, but jumped the gun. It was like, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Meanwhile, we got got feet kicking and all that. It's like, okay, and you're going to heaven today, okay? A little crazy. So we make sure we help people understand the proper technique, okay? So one of the most detailed um, evangelistic and baptism accounts in the Bible gets recorded for us in Acts chapter 8. And if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open to the story of Acts chapter 8. It's the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And I'll begin at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Verse 27, and so Philip arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, this is a fascinating story, and it's so clear. It's a story about uh, someone who receives Jesus, who believes in Jesus, and it's a story about someone who is baptized or wants to identify publicly with Jesus. We, we know him as the Ethiopian eunuch, and by that me, we mean a eunuch is, is someone who has been castrated, not to get too detailed here, but this is an official in a court, and often those, those officials were castrated to you know prevent sexual uh, indiscretions from occurring. I, I often... Um, You know, think between the lines here and wonder what that must have been like. Hey, hey, I've got good news and bad news for you. The good news is you have a job. The bad news is it will require quite a sacrifice. Okay, so, so here he is, and he and we know that he serves Candace, which is most likely not her name. Uh, It's it's a title for the queen, so it might be like just like Pharaoh or Caesar. You know the, the global titles. And uh, he's the director of the treasury or the minister of finance. And we're, we know that he is a God-fearer. That's a fascinating phrase that's found in the New Testament. So he's traveling from the southern part of Africa to uh, Jerusalem. So he is aware of Yahweh. He is aware of the Israelites. He is aware that you can go here and worship. And so he already has this awareness of God. He was a God-fearer. Now, there's some of you that are sitting here today that perhaps are not yet Christians, but you might be called a God-fearer. You're a person who has an awareness that that, everything that we see out there could not have happened by chance. Just way too crazy for that. So there must be some sort of intelligent designer. Or maybe you believe there is a God, but you you haven't filled in all the blanks yet. So you would be called, like this Ethiopian eunuch, you would be called a God-fearer. So let's look at verse 28. This guy, this Ethiopian official, was returning. So he's gone to Jerusalem from Ethiopia, and now he's returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So he has a scroll uh, from the Old Testament, of the book of isaiah and he's reading that and so he's, he's uh you know sitting in his chariot so we know that he's a dignitary he's you know somebody that that uh, has means and then the spirit said to philip go near and overtake literally means get close to this chariot okay so the, the spirit says to philip you've already gone down the road okay this is why i've sent you here take off philip i want you to come alongside this guy draw near to this guy and so philip what do you do he obeyed he ran he ran to him, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he said to him, do you understand what you're reading? Now, in my mind, you know, as he's running along the, the chariot, he's here's a guy he reading and says, do you understand what you're reading? I don't know how that happened. But fortunately, he didn't have to keep the conversation up like that. And he said, this is Ethiopian eunuch says, and how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, I'm sure Philip was elated because now he's about to get the opportunity to share the gospel, but he also doesn't have to run anymore. So he's in the chariot, okay? Maybe Philip is thinking, no wonder the angel told me to go down this road. This is pretty cool. This is a divine encounter. See, the truth is, in that situation and even today, God is at work to draw everyone to himself. You know this, right? God is at work to draw everyone. Some of you that are here, perhaps you're far from God. Or maybe you would consider yourself a God fearer. You know, God has been working in uh, all of our lives to draw us to himself. And he does it lots of different ways. He does it through circumstances. He does it through conversations. He does it through events in our lives. God is at work to draw everyone to himself. In predicting his crucifixion, Jesus said it this way, When I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He put that in motion the day he was crucified. And the drawing power of Jesus is still at work today. Just like he worked to draw this Ethiopian official to himself, so he's been at work to draw every single human being to himself. So this past week right here on our campus in our all staff meeting, I was reading through the values, the seven values of uh, our church. And I got to number three. It was just such a great reminder. It goes like this. We value lost people who are in need of God's free gift of salvation. In other words, part of the DNA of our church is to be on the lookout for people that are far from God, people that have not yet believed in Jesus. We value lost people. Look at verse 32. He's reading. Philip's now in the chariot with him, and we're told that the place in the scriptures which he read was this. Now, this is one of the most incredible pieces of this passage. You talk about opportunity. You talk about low hanging fruit. You talk about what what a setup for a conversation. Here it is. What's he reading? He, here's what he was reading. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before his shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Okay? He's reading from Isaiah 53. So the scroll he's got open is Isaiah 53. And what does Isaiah 53 talk about? Who's the main character in Isaiah 53? Jesus. He's reading about Jesus. It's Isaiah 53, one part, one verse says like this, All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So verse 34, So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? He's reading this scroll about this person, and he's asking Philip, who's he talking about? Is the prophet talking about himself or is the prophet talking about someone else? Now, I don't know about you, but at this point, Philip is probably barely able to contain himself. I mean, you, you talk about like served up right in front of you. And so what, what do we find happen? Then verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture, preached Jesus to him because that's who he's reading about. He's reading about Jesus. And without even knowing it, this Ethiopian official, talking about the providence of God, is reading from the Old Testament scroll of Isaiah about Jesus. Now we can conclude that in verse 35, Philip explains the gospel. It's all tucked right in there. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the scripture and preached Jesus to him. What did he say about Jesus? Well, he told told him Jesus was the Messiah. He told him that Jesus had been crucified and now had been raised to life. He told him that that Jesus was his only hope. That Jesus is the Messiah. That you know you're going to Jerusalem to worship. This is the Messiah that the Jews have been looking for all these years. Earlier in this chapter in, in the book of Acts, we learned that Philip went down to the city of Samaria, Samaria and preached Christ to them. So he's experienced with this so far. What is he preaching? Jesus died for your sins to give you life forever. That essentially is the gospel. Jesus died for your sins to give you life forever. I find it fascinating. You know, the forgiveness of sins is an incredible thing. Just a quick show of hands. You don't have to give me details. Anybody in here sinned? Just a show of hands. Okay, that's good. Those of you without your hands, we'll have a conversation later. Okay. Okay. We all have no exceptions. We've all sinned. We've all violated God god's righteous law but but what did god do he forgives our sins through jesus christ but that in itself is not the gospel the gospel is jesus came to give us life and the forgiveness of sins is a means to that end the forgiveness of sins is part of that unfolding plan of god but it doesn't stop there he's come to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly Verse 36, Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Again, you just talk about this amazing story that's unfolding here. Philip has shared the gospel. The Ethiopian official has believed the gospel. And now he wants to identify with Jesus in a public way through baptism. Look at verse 37. And then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah who guarantees eternal life. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, verse 37 is not found in most of the manuscripts. Some suggest it was added to explain what happened. But the story doesn't change. Because here's what we find. We find this official comprehending the gospel and believing. And so he commanded the chariot, the Ethiopian official commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. So this official from Ethiopia had been changed by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You follow it historically. This was the spread of the gospel to Ethiopia. It's just a beautiful picture of God's sovereign work. And people are still being changed by the grace of God, and people are still looking for water to be baptized because people want to publicly identify with Jesus. So the question asked by the Ethiopian official still has power today. Did you catch it? What hinders me from being baptized? It's a question that we can, I think, expand and ask this way. What hinders you from wholeheartedly identifying with Jesus? What hinders you and me from wholeheartedly identifying with Jesus? Baptism is a subset of that question. So, so for example, what's holding you back? What's holding you back from living your life wholeheartedly for Jesus? And what are you holding back from Jesus? You know, it's, it's respectable sometimes to have in our minds. God, I'm going to give you this little area of my life, but you can't touch this back here. Don't don't be asking me to do anything weird with this. You know, God. So I'll give you I'll dole out a few little things to you. God says, I, I, I want it all. What's holding you back and what are you holding back from Jesus? So when you're baptized, you're saying, I want to prioritize Jesus. I want people to know that Jesus is first in my life. Baptism is not a superstition. Baptism is not magic. It doesn't save you or make you holy. It doesn't give you a ticket to heaven. It's one way for a believer in Jesus to please Jesus by obeying him. It was Jesus who gave the command. You know, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do everything I've told them to do. So this is just a beautiful, beautiful picture. And I love that we get to do this, Not, not the least of which reason is that we've been all cloistered with COVID. And now, wow, it's been a while since we've done this here, since we've been able to to celebrate, And so here's what you're going to experience from, from here on out. You're going to see the second half of the kids video from Friday night. So you heard a little bit of their stories, those kids that were baptized. Now you're going to actually be invited into the event. You're going to see what happened on Friday night. You're going to see kids being baptized and it just, oh, wow, it's beautiful. And then after that video, you'll begin to hear audio stories from people that are being baptized today. Okay, so you see behind me, so pinned pinned on this wall here are stories, the, the written out version of the stories that you're gonna hear in audio form. And so people will come to the stage, they'll add their story to the wall there, and then they'll come down the stairs and they're gonna be baptized right here. Now, this is a celebration, and so at a celebration, you celebrate, all right? And so when people get baptized and come out of the water, just give it all you got. We are so for these people. And this is their way of publicly identifying with Jesus and obeying Jesus in this command uh, to be baptized. In addition to that, we've made room in our service following the planned baptisms to give those of you that would like to be baptized today that opportunity. You may experience something here or you you may have actually come in and said you know i didn't get on the list but i'm kind of, some of you are secretly planning to be spontaneously baptized okay <laughs> it does bend the meaning of spontaneous a little bit but it counts okay but if you're if you're here and um and you experience this and you say well i i i want to be baptized today then we say jump in this is exciting for you to do that um let me give you a couple of questions um to consider. Here's the first one. Have you believed in Jesus for the gift of salvation? Okay? So we practice believers' baptism here. It's not again, not superstitious, not magic. Here's another question. Do you understand the purpose of baptism? You understand this is not saving you, but this this is an outward symbol of what's taking place inside of you. And then is there any reason preventing you from being baptized today? So what we're going to invite you to do is as as we You know, begin some songs, and and you'll have a spot to do that during our offering. To go back to this little side room over here, you'll see a door in the corner over there. There'll be some people there that can help you process your decision. We have towels for you, we have clothes for you to change into, and then you can put your clothes back on when you when you leave uh, today. Um, But we want to celebrate that with you, and this has been a tradition throughout the years, and and so we've just made room to do that. So. Let me pray for us, and then again, we're going to experience just some some amazing reminders of how good God is together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the life-changing power of Jesus. We thank you for your work on the cross on our behalf. We thank you that you have made a way for us to spend eternity with you. Our prayer today as a church family is that we would truly celebrate Uh, The lives that have been changed through the power of Christ and those that are saying, I want the world to know, I want to publicly identify with Jesus. That's our prayer. We love you and pray all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.